The gospel reading today is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to a region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He responded, Legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission, so the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. And then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside, and people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and they saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs, and then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. But Jesus would not allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. When I uh, was reading again this text this past week, uh, an incident that my wife and I had this summer uh, here in Seattle uh, came immediately to my mind. Uh, we were actually walking in downtown Seattle and walking down the sidewalk this past summer, and in the doorway of a building, there was a homeless man in the bil- in the kind of sitting in the in the little cove where the doorway was. And he was crying out, like in a cry that, like, usually one of those cries that you actually can't ignore as a human being. I don't know if that makes sense. You know, there are some people who hold up signs and some people who say things and do things to try and get your attention. But he was, he was like begging. And like, there was a part of me, my heart just kind of like was like compassion. Compassion just started like, I can't ignore this, right? I can't walk by. 
And so I reached into my pocket, you know, he was reaching out and kind of begging for help, and it was very kind of just tugging at the heart, so to speak. So I reached in my pocket to pull out a little bit of cash because I knew that's what he wanted, and it goes against everything I would teach people to do. Don't give out cash, give food, all these other ways that we try and help. And, but I did, you know, my heart was just kind of like, I got to help this guy. And then as I was handing him the money, he opened up his class hand to reveal a crack pipe in his hand. And there was that instant moment where he like, oh, pull it back? No. And so I gave him the cash and I, and I walked away, but there was still, I, I remember just my wife and I, as we walked, kept walking, I was like, we need to do something more than that. <laughs> I was like, I feel like there, I, there's more that I could do there. And it's not just about giving money. And I thought, you know, we, I said to her, I said, we should have prayed for him. We should have just stopped right then and prayed for him. I don't know what God would have done with it. I don't know how, how he responded or not responded. But this, no amount of money that we give him, here's, the, here's what I learned. No amount of money that I give him, no matter how many laws we create, no matter how many things we do in our city to try and help this one person and many people like him, there's more that he needs than just physical things. I think he actually needs spiritual help. I actually think that, that we can, it's not that we're not supposed to provide the, the physical things and to provide for things to help feed him and clothe him and shelter him and care for him and show the love of God to him, but I think he will never get free of the demon of addiction, because that's the closest I can see to, 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 to demon possession today, is drug addiction. It's like, a, it's like somebody else possesses this person, and they're trapped, and they're held captive by this addiction in such a way that it is closest I can come to seeing it today. And I think the only thing that will help this, and I've actually heard this from other people who have run shelters in the city, have said, you know, I've never seen anybody get out of addiction without the help of God, without spiritual help, without spiritual power, without spiritual presence in their lives. And that's exactly what we see in the text today, that when Jesus shows up, Jesus has the power to actually cast out the demons in this man's life. That's what we see. And I also kind of ask the question of us today as the church, is Jesus still alive today? Does Jesus still have power today? Does G, is Jesus actually able to do anything through us and in us and even in spite of us? I think we have to wrestle with that question. So the two men that I'm talking about, this morning, one, we, we heard about this story that I, man that I met on the street, but I would say there's also this man in the text today who Jesus encounters. And one of the things we see in both their lives is this. They're both living in isolation from other people. They're, they're totally isolated. There's nobody else around them. There's no community around them. There's nobody else in their lives actually helping them <laughs> because whatever's going on in their lives has so far isolated them. And here we find this, this man, he's living in caves, in tombs, in a graveyard. They've tried to subdue him. They've tried everything to control him. They've tried all their, their methods by chaining him, tying him, binding him, and they've been unable to sub subdue him, so they've kind of cast him out of the community. They've just side, not only sidelined him, but just said, get out of our city, get away from us, and go live somewhere else. That's what's happened to this man that Jesus finds on the edge of the Sea of Galilee living in the tombs on the edge of the community. 
And that's where Jesus finds him. You know, I was talking, I was talking with a mental health counselor uh, from another church recently, and he made this comment to me, and he said to me, he said, you know, as I have been here in Seattle, there's one thing I've come to the conclusion. Of course, he's got his perspective, but he's, he said, I've come to one conclusion. He said, there are a lot of people in pain in our city. There are a lot of people in pain in our city. And I also began to think about, is that pain in any way related to isolation, to lack of community? Uh, we know if you've been around Seattle for a while, uh, what, uh, 2013, there was a report that came out that, that Seattle was one of the top 10 loneliest cities in America. We ranked number five. I don't know if they've done an update to that research. I think Cigna Healthcare did that research, but we were ranked among the top 10 at number five. We know that they've done plenty of research that people that live in isolation who are lonely have a 30% increase in mortality rate. Think about that. So if we, saw, if we said there's a 30% increase in getting lung cancer or 30% increase in having a heart attack, wouldn't we be doing something about it? Wouldn't we be creating fundraisers? Wouldn't we be creating nonprofits and doing uh, all kinds of things to raise money to do research to stop loneliness and isolation, right? And yet it's shown time and time again that isolation is not good for us and that this is not healthy for us. I also found a little, another research. I don't know if any of you follow me on Facebook, but I'm off Facebook. I jumped off. Couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know I was going to get applause. We get applause for that. Um, you know, who knows? I may be tempted and jump back on next year. But, uh, but what I started to learn was that face-to-face -face interactions with people actually increase a person's well-being. <laughs> Duh. But people, they tracked people over three years who had done on, had made connections online and used Facebook on a regular basis, and guess what happened to their well-being over three years? Went down. So face-to-face -face interactions, community, relationship, is, creates health in us, emotionally, physically, spiritually, whereas a lot of the other things that we're seeking connection from through technology that puts us into isolation, that's not helping our well-being. That's not helping us mentally, spiritually, physically, right? So we have to think about that. What's going on in our city, and our society that is creating this isolation, this loneliness, and our own demons, so to speak? So I was thinking about that as I looked around, and as I've been here for a couple years now, and I've been uh, learning lots of things, and I still don't claim to have it all figured out, but I started to think, what are the legions I see in the city and in people? Because that's what happened. This man has a legion of demons that has created isolation in him. And I was thinking about this idea that the legion is actually anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000 Roman soldiers. And we have in the text that 2,000 pigs suffered because of this. But think about, you know, so there's this, this, there are all these different voices in this person competing in this person, driving this person basically insane. I thought about that. What are the legions that we deal with today? And one of the things I think we're dealing with today that I've never seen before and I've never experienced before in my lifetime, and maybe I'm just becoming an old guy, but it's a legion of beliefs and identities. Like everywhere I go, there's like a legion, like there's a bunch of labels that we put on ourselves. There's a bunch of beliefs that we have and nobody wants to fit in any one category or any one community because we've been 
we've been called, we've been called as, as Americans to individuality. And so what, I, what I've seen more and more of is what I would call designer spirituality, where people design their own spirituality, people design their own belief systems, uh, people design their own ideology, and they don't fit anywhere, right? They're not like anybody else. And what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to express our individuality, which is good. God created us unique and individuals and created us in the image of God, and that's a beautiful thing. The problem is, is that when individuality becomes more important than community, relationship, when our individuality begins to rule us more so than our need for relationship, our need for community, when that takes over, then we're out of balance. We're, out of, we're, not, we're not healthy. I would also say the other is, can be true too. When we have all community and we're, we're into the community and we're guided by just the community and we have no individuality, that's not healthy either, right? It's these two things in cooperation. We actually need both. We need community, and we as communities need to be willing to accept people's individuality <laughs> and appreciate that, right, and value that and love them. That's why we did this series these past five weeks called Love Everybody Always, right? We were talking about this, and really how do we connect with people and love people in our neighborhoods and in our communities and individuals, right? And notice that what happens to the man who has this legion of voices, different voices that he can't make sense of, that he can't put together, that's isolated him from community and from the people around him? Notice what happens when he, create, he meets Jesus. Well, first of all, the good thing is that the voices are gone. <laughs> He's no longer, no voices. And there's only one voice he wants to listen to. His life goes from thousands of voices to one voice. And it's simply about Jesus. Did you notice that? He, he simply, simply wants to follow Jesus. There, there's no belief system here. There's no ideology. There's no uh, labels. There are no identities here. He just wants to be a follower of Jesus. His life goes from one extreme to very simple. And I think that's what we're called to be as a church. We're called to be as Christians as simply followers of Jesus. As individuals, we have one thing that we seek, one simple thing that we're trying to do, all trying to do together, that brings us into community. Our individual designer spirituality will not lead us there. But when we encounter Jesus, life becomes clear, right? It's all about following Jesus, and we can do that. We can figure that out. The other legion I see in our community, in our city, is what I would call a legion of commitments and responsibilities. Have you ever said to yourself, I've got so much to do, I'm losing my mind? Has anybody ever said that to yourself? Maybe not out loud, but you've said it to yourself, right? Because you've got so much going on in your life that you feel like you can't keep up. You're overwhelmed, and because of that, you will say something like, I'm losing my mind, or I'm stressed out or something along those lines. There's too much going on in my world. And we are saying yes more than we're saying no. We're saying yes to all the legions, the legion of responsibilities and commitments that are always coming at us. And we say yes, 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 yes. When we need to be wise about what to say no to and what to say yes to. I thought about this as I was actually with some guys and we were taking a cruise around Lake Washington this summer and we were in a nice, fancy motorboat. I prefer sailboats, but we were in a motorboat. And uh, anybody like sailboats, by the way? Any sailors here? Good. All right. I thought I might be in good company. Uh, motorboat people, you're okay too. Sorry, just saying. Um, 
I enjoy. So we're going out around Lake Washington, and it's a beautiful summer day. The water is in the 70s, temp, water temps in the 70s, you know, great t- day to jump in the Lake of Washington. It's a nice sunny day out. Great summer weather here in Seattle. And we're cruising around the lake, and we're going by all the houses on the lake. Have you ever done this? How many people have ever gone on the lake and just looked around the houses? You know, there's Bill Gates' house and Jeff Bezos' place with his helicopter pad ship, and there's all these things you can see, and all these things you go around Lake Washington, and you notice all these great, big, beautiful, stately homes, guy with a dinosaur in his atrium, you know, and toys, jet skis, water trampolines, all kinds of toys, docks, swimming places, all this stuff. And you just see it, house after house after house after house. And you know what you don't see? People. Nobody's enjoying the toys. Nobody's enjoying the lawn. Nobody's enjoying the water. Nobody's out participating in any of that stuff. So here's the thing I learned. Success will bring you a lot of money, but it won't give you a lot of time, will it, right? So they've got all the money, they've got all the things, they've got all the dream, they're living the American dream, but they've got no time to enjoy their success because they have to keep fueling their success. You and I are a part of that too. It's not just about the people that are wealthy, it's about all of us doing this, right? There's a book out called Chain to the Desk, and Brian Robinson says this, overwork is this decade's cocaine, the problem without a name. Do you realize that you and I can get addicted to stress? Did you know that? That because when we're stressed, our body actually begins to produce hormones that we like to feel. And so it reinforces our stress out. And so we take on more and we do more and we commit to more. And so we end up, and we don't realize that in the midst of it, we're actually kind of losing our minds because of this legion of commitments that we say yes to because what something else is driving us, something else is fueling us, and sometimes it's just a simple addiction to stress. Maybe we're addicted to it. I might be in that category. You might be in that category. And so I think about this, but notice that what happens when this man with the legion of demons is freed, where do we find him? Sitting in his right mind. He's not losing his mind. He's in his right mind. He has come to his senses and he's sitting with Jesus calmly at peace. And isn't that what we're all longing for? So the point of the story and the power of Jesus in our lives is that when we encounter Jesus and we encounter the power of Jesus in our lives, things get simple and things get clear for us. Jesus is our hope. Not just the hope for the man on the streets in our city, but also the hope for us. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is our hope because it's when we encounter Jesus, when we have Jesus in our lives, that things start to get clear, that things start to settle down, that things start to make sense, that things start to become simple, and we experience community through the life of following Jesus that we would not otherwise. I think Jesus is the hope not only of our world, and not only a hope for us, but the hope for our city. So this passage is not only about the hope and the power that Jesus can provide for us, but I also want to point out something else in this story. 
It's also about the mission of Jesus. Uh, a lot of times we don't always pick up on this. Maybe we do. Maybe we've, you've heard sermons on this before. But it actually points us to our role as a church, as a community of faith. And that is that I think that our role as a church in this city is to invite people to the feet of Jesus. Not to us, not to what we think, not to our ideology, not to our, just our doctrine, our beliefs, but to invite people to become followers of Jesus, to invite people to the feet of Jesus because there is the hope that we offer people. That is the hope that we invite people to. That is the power of Jesus that we invite people to. And you see, the addict on the street needs Jesus. We as individuals, our individuals in our neighborhoods need Jesus and the hope of Jesus. The lonely, all of us that are lonely, isolated, overworked, overwhelmed, we find hope in Christ. So it's actually our role to offer it to others, this hope that we find in Christ. Because notice, though, one other thing. When the man encounters Jesus, he's freed from the demons, the legion. He's now sitting in his right mind in Jesus, and Jesus gets up to go. What, what is Jesus what does the man want to do when he sees Jesus leave? Did you remember? What? I want to go with you, right? I don't blame the guy. I do not blame him at all because, one, he's probably afraid the demons are going to come back. He's afraid that if I'm not with Jesus, if I'm not with the one who I can hope in and has the power, what happens if they come back, right? So there's a legitimate fear here. I think there's another thing going on too, and that is notice that the community there around this incident said, what did they say to Jesus? Get, get out of here, Jesus. You're messing with our livelihood. You're messing with the family business. We're pig herders, and you just destroyed our livelihood. We need you to leave. We need you to get out of here so we can go back to business as usual, Right? That would have been disruptive to that community and to, to the to people who own that, that herd. So again, that man probably didn't want to be around the people that had what? Isolated him, chained him, subdued him, and now they associate him with Jesus, the guy who got rid of the pigs, who's messing with their livelihood. So I can understand this man wanting to go with Jesus. And Jesus says to him what? What did Jesus say to him? Now I want you to notice that what Jesus says to him, if he were on the other side of the lake, I want you to notice this, he's on one side of the lake. If he had been on the other side of the lake, in the times when he's on the other side of the lake among Jewish people, what he says to them is, be quiet. Don't say anything about what you saw. Keep it to yourself. But here's what he says to the man when he asked to go with Jesus. He says this. I think we have the verse. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. He's saying to the man, go tell people. Go. And the mission of the church, the role of the church, if you ever look at the Gospels, if you ever look at the message of the New Testament, it's, it's always go. <laughs> go tell. <laughs> go make disciples. Get on mission. This is Jesus' mission. I want you to notice that Jesus has crossed the lake overnight in a storm. If you read before this, you'll see that Jesus and his disciples get in a boat at, in the evening. They've been around crowds and they've been around all these people and they get in this boat and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee at night and a storm comes up. 
There are all the disciples are in the boat. Jesus is asleep in the storm. And Jesus is asleep, and the disciples are afraid, and they wake Jesus up, and they're like, don't you care that we're in this storm? Wake up, Jesus, do something. And he does, and he calms the storm, and they make it to the other side of the lake. So they get through this storm, all night, think about it, all night boat ride through a storm, you get to the other side. Now you're in a land, in a place where there are pigs. Are pigs kosher for Jewish young, uh, men or women? No. No pigs. That's not, it's unclean. Tombs. Are rabbis and disciples supposed to be walking around in tombs and graveyards? No, not clean. This is like the last place you would expect to find a rabbi and his disciples. The last place. He's actually, Jesus is saying, our mission, guys, is to go through storms to get to people where they're at. We're going to actually take this adventure together. We're actually going to go on this voyage together because it's not just about us. It's about everybody. It's about, in this, in this case, the Gentiles, the, the pig herders, the people that we think are so unclean that we've excluded from our, our community for so long, we're actually called to, to go connect with them and share the power of Christ with them, even the people that we've excluded and would exclude ourselves from. That's what he's saying. You know, I think we too, as a church, need to take a boat ride. We may need to go through a storm because we need to get on mission. Because we, the temptation in the church, and I've heard this time and time again, the temptation for the church is to just want to be with Jesus and Jesus exclusively. We just want to be disciples, right? Let's just all hang out. We're like the guy. We just want to hang out with Jesus and be around other people who hang out with Jesus. And it gets risky and scary for us to think about hanging out with people who aren't like Jesus. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. But I think the same message is true. Jesus says to us, go. <laughs> Tell them how the Lord has shown you mercy. Tell them the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. We're not to keep this for ourselves. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say, huddle in the boat and just wait for Jesus to wake up. Nowhere. I think a lot of times, though, we as the church are kind of huddled up together as disciples and we're waiting for Jesus to wake up and do something. <laughs> when we always say, what? We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus needs the church to wake up and do something, right? We can't wait for Jesus to wake up. We are the body of Christ in the world. We need to wake up and do something. Part of our mission is, as a church is to love people, connect them to Jesus, right, and serve the world. That's our mission. We agreed to this mission as a church. We also agreed to a couple core practices. We have five. I just want to remind us of two practices that we have, we have committed to. One is to practice hospitality, to love people, and to invite them to follow Jesus as well, right? Again, this is us looking outward, looking, going across lakes, going to other people that maybe aren't a part of our community right now. What would that look like for us as a church? It's scary. You know, we agreed to this as a community of faith, and this is the reason that we're, think, we're talking about and proposing starting a second service next year. 
is that we believe there are people that aren't a part, of, a part of our community, that are in need of community in our city, in our world, that we want to invite to be a part of our community, that we're not currently equipped or connecting with. So we have to do some new things. We're going to have to take some risks to do that. It's risky work. You know, when I was asked, to, uh, you all know, I always am talking about this and I apologize, but Actually, I don't apologize because it was what God did in my life and our lives. But, you know, we were asked to plant a church many years ago, and I feel like as a church, when we're thinking about a second service, I feel like we're on the cusp of being church planting again, right? And so I was uh, thinking back to my first experience, and I had been asked to do this, plant a church, and this pastor came to me, very well, a colleague, respected colleague, uh, well-known in, in the faith community. And he came to me and he said, because um, he heard that I was going to be part of planting a church. And he came to me and he said, uh, so what did you do wrong? Like, what did you do to make the bishop mad at you? Like, this is not the good, this is not the career direct trajectory that uh, you should be on, Matt. You, you could be going on, moving on to bigger churches and better places, and you could be set till retirement and yada, yada, yada. And he's like, why would you do this? And I remember the moment, like, what do you say? Like, you say that, you know, this respected colleague is saying to you, you're, you're being demoted. I didn't, I, at that moment, I didn't see it as a demotion. But I felt like, you know, you have these Holy Spirit, I hope you have Holy Spirit moments. If you don't, let's talk about it. Um, but I had this moment where the Holy Spirit just was speaking in me, and I said to him, I, I remember saying to him, I said, well, you know, remember when Jesus, when Peter walked on water and he failed? Remember that? Like, this, there's another play, another storm, another story, and Jesus, and Peter, Jesus walks on water, and Peter says, hey, invite me to come out, out of the boat, onto the water, and Peter gets out of the water, and he starts walking on water a little bit, then he gets scared, and he starts to drown, and he fails, and Jesus again says, ye have little faith, same thing he said to the disciples in this passage before. And I said to him, I said, do you know that story? I said, I'd rather be Peter, who got out of the boat and tried and failed, than the other 11 who just cowered in fear. I look at that story and I say, Peter was not the greater failure. The other 11 who stayed in the boat were the failures. Because they let their fear keep them in the boat. They weren't bold enough to step out. They weren't bold enough to go out of the boat. They were still waiting for Jesus to do something rather than be Jesus around them. Later on, I got called in to the denominational office about a year after we started the church. And I got called into the, the bishop's office. I wasn't in trouble, but I had to give a report because they had to decide whether or not they were going to continue to fund us as a church plant, as a new church, whether they were going to continue to give us money. And I remember going in there and again feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit just to go in there and say thank you. And I said, one of the things I not only thanked them for was resourcing us, but I said, here's the other thing I'm going to thank you for. I'm thankful that you gave us this opportunity because even if it falls apart tomorrow, we've seen God at work. We've seen God work in our lives and the lives of other people, and that's worth it. So thanks for calling us out of the boat. 
thanks for giving us the opportunity to get out of the boat because here's what happens, right? You know this, I know this. When we do something new, we grow. I'm not talking about numerically. I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, physically. We grow. God grows us, grows our faith, grows our vision, grows our mission. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. You know, I was convinced, I've been convinced for some time now, that I'm not, I don't feel called to serve a church that's dying. And here's the other thing I believe. I don't believe you are either. I don't believe any of us in this building or in this church are called to serve a dying church. Because we have a mission. We have a mission that God has called us to, and it's not dying. Amen? Let's pray together.